I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, June 5th, 2021, and this is episode 123 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. Today's show is sponsored by Summer in the City by Lori Wilde, Priscilla Oliveras, and Sarah Skilton. Each connected novella in this fun, fresh rom-com anthology follows a different woman from a group of NYC friends whose plans to escape the summer heat with a fabulous girls-only weekend suddenly lose steam when an unexpected blackout cuts off power to all of Manhattan. But while the lights are out, enemies become lovers, friends find out they have more in common, and the city really heats up. So check out Night at the Museum by Lori Wilde, Stage Lights Out by Priscilla Oliveras, and Mind Games by Sarah Skelton in the anthology Summer in the City, wherever books are sold or at kensingtonbooks.com. So this week's best thing is, it's got to be Venus Williams' mic drop. Um, so after Naomi Osaka dropped out of the French Open, I feel like, one of the Opens, I don't follow tennis, because of mental health concerns, she didn't want to do the interviews, and um, they were stressing her out, she had a lot of anxiety about it, and her desire not to talk to the press was causing this uproar, so she dropped out of the whole competition. And then Venus Williams has this amazing little snippet of audio that was doing the rounds on social media that just embodied, like when you think about what does black girl magic actually means, I think that's what it means. Venus was like, yeah, the way I deal with the press is that I know none of y'all can play tennis as good as I can. And, you know, um, that's how I deal with it. (laughs) Any question you ask me is from someone who is not as good as I am. So why should I worry about it? That was basically her energy. And I like that energy. Um, I aspire (laughs) to, to more of that energy. And I will link the clip if you have not seen it. But yeah, that's definitely this week's best thing. Um, it had some close competition. Um, the first thing I had written down as a potential candidate was Cree Summer liked a tweet that I had and retweeted me. So someone had tweeted about Cree Summer, the actress from a different world and from like every cartoon you've ever seen. She's a voice actress now, a very, very popular and prolific voice actress for cartoons. But of course, I know her from a different world. And of course, her 1999 album, Street Fairy, which is one of my favorite al- albums of all time, highly recommended on this podcast and in my general life when I talk to people about music. So someone on Twitter was like, you know, we need more Chris Summer music. And I saw um, someone I knew who had retweeted that. And I was like, yes, yeah, so I need this. I need more music from Chris Summer. And she liked it and retweeted it. And that was a highlight of my week. <laughs> Also, we saw A Quiet Place Part 2, and that was excellent, excellent filmmaking. I don't like horror movies. I'm not a horror movie fan. I don't like jump scares particularly, but I had seen the first one, and it's just, the first one was so well done, and this one picks up right where it left off. Funny, because the kids in it have obviously grown quite a bit, but they don't let that stop them. And it's just as good, the second one. Uh, And if you haven't seen it, I, I recommend it, even if you're not a horror fan, because you know, there's monsters and there's jump scares, but it's so suspenseful. And John Krasinski just has a gift. You know, some people, I guess he's just really paying attention. Like he's the writer and the director of this. He co-wrote and directed the first one. And you can tell that he loved it. His wife is in it. He loved the process. He loved the story. He just did a great, a great, great job. Um, and yeah, I thought that was a fantastic movie. So there's three really great things that happened this week. 
that balances out my, my writing update. I've decided to call this episode, Things Fall Apart. I don't often title the episodes before I record them. Usually I'm looking at the graphic and I'm like, oh, what am I going to call this? Oh, let's just find some words that I might've thought about while I was talking. But yeah, Things Fall Apart. Uh, the other optional title was It All Falls Down. <laughs> I posted on Instagram a couple days ago, possibly yesterday, I have no idea what is time, that I'm in a story crisis. Pulled out a bunch of craft books from the shelf, notebook, text file, like hand, um, like paper notebook, my remarkable two, which is like my digital notebook, all the notebooks, all the text files, my spreadsheet, um, worksheets, Everything, everything comes out when I'm in a crisis because I realized writing chapter 21 of 24 that something is terribly wrong with this book. I'm working on Savage City, which is my paranormal romance, futuristic portal fantasy story with shifters and dragons and other cool stuff. And I have somehow lost the flow Maybe I never had the flow. Like, I wish I could tell you what's wrong. So let me kind of go back in time. I do have notes. Let's go through them. Let's let's do a like a postmortem on a story explosion or implosion. Let's call it an implosion because it's inside of me that all of the horrors have occurred. It's not really outside. At one point, I realized I was writing a flat character arc. So my main character, Talia, she essentially, in the first, in the prologue, she dies of a long illness, she's been hospitalized, and she gets taken to this other world. And this is her second chance, you know, that's kind of her motivation. And then this world has a lot of problems in it, in addition to the fact that she is mistaken for the princess, and apparently she's identical to the princess who's been missing. That's the, you know, that's the blur, not, not, not a spoiler, <laughs> that's the whole point of the story. Uh, so I was like, oh, I I was writing the climax, the climactic scene is, which is when all of this started to fall apart when I realized, wait a minute, none of this is coming together the way that I wanted it to. And I was like, oh, this should be a moment of transformation. This is like the end of her arc. What is her arc again? Oh, wait, she has a flat character arc. So there's three kinds of character arcs. There's the positive change, the negative change and flat And often, your hero or heroine is going to be a positive change arc. If it's a tragedy, it's a negative change arc. And then there's a lot of, like, flat characters. You know, Mystery, Poirot, your Agatha Christie's, your James Bond. They're not really growing and changing as characters. The world around them is changing. So I thought about Talia and what I have written. And as I've written it, she's not really growing and changing. She gets taken to this world where she has to change it. You know, she has to exert her positive influence on this broken world. And that was fine. I didn't know I was doing that. I thought I was changing her, but what I had actually written was flat. We can, we can work with that. And then I was like, okay, the world is changing. Is that the story I really wanted to tell? What else is wrong? Why doesn't this scene make sense? She makes a decision at this climactic point in the story, right before the all is lost. And on paper, the decision seemed okay. I was moving right along, going towards this point. 
But this is supposed to be like the biggest point in the book. Everything is supposed to be leading up to this. Everything in my draft does not lead up to this. This thing happens almost out of the blue or just for a reason that I'm struggling to make make sense. Problem the second out of many. I don't even know if I can list all the problems. I was talking to my brother who I often bounce ideas with and he was like, yeah, this is the problem from this that this story has had since the beginning, like five years ago when you first started writing it. Uh, you have a really cool concept, but what is it really about? And I was like, what is this story about? Then I went into themes. Like, what are the themes of the story? Why did I want to tell it in the first place? What am I trying to say about the world? What is my worldview? What is the paradigm of the story? And I was like, I should know the answers to these questions. I'm looking through my notes. I'm like, I did worksheets on this. I have 23 pages of notes in my remarkable like digital notebook. I have a whole like half a notebook full. I had two other notebooks that I haven't looked at from years past, full of ideas and notes about this story. Why don't I know what this is about? Why don't I know what the themes are? Like, it's okay to write a book without knowing the theme, I think. But when you sit down at the end, you should be able to figure out the theme. And if you've done it right, intuitively, everything is working towards that theme. I think there's a lot that is, like once I've figured out the theme, that they're staring you right in the face, generally. Like they were, they're staring me right in the face. It's like, yes, these things, um, themes of sacrifice and renewal, they're there. But they're not quite there in the way they need to be there. They're like, they're there, but they're weak, I guess. The uh, motivation for the climactic scene and the big revelation is weak. And so I started brainstorming ways to make it stronger, other ways that this revelation could happen. Who knows what, when, and what is their motivation to tell it? Is she tell it? Does someone else tell it? Is there a betrayal? Is there not? Are any of those things set up in the story? And as I started asking more and more questions, more and more things just started to unravel. Hence the story crisis, hence the craft books and the notes and all of this. Um, so that's where I am. That is my writing update. I am still deep in this hole that I've dug for myself, trying to figure out how to get out of it. And it's funny, when people talk about plotters, I was uh, listening to some some videos of an author who was a pantser and was sort of giving advice to pantsers and, and talking about how plotters do this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't do any of those things. <laughs> like, I know I have my notes, I have my synopsis, I have the beats. Theoretically, I know everything that's going to happen in the story. And I know that it's going to change. I expect it to change, especially the second half. I feel usually pretty confident with the first 50%. So, like, the whole point of plotting is you should be able to figure out these problems ahead of time before you get to 85% of the book written and then realize that you don't know what the motivation of your character is. Like, I had a motivation for my main character. But as I look at back at it, it's also weak. Or now I'm feeling it's weak. I, I thought it was strong when I came up with it and when I built the story around it. So why is it weak now? I don't have answers to that question, but that's where I am. So for me, when I get to this point, because I, I often get to this point, I go back to the beginning. I go back to the why, why I'm telling the story, trying to tease out something. 
what I wanted it to be. And I start considering all of the options that I took off the table. You know, when you write a book or any story, really, like you're the the deity of your own universe and you have infinite possibilities before you about what could happen to these characters, who these characters even are, what's their backstory, what is their wound, why are they doing these things? The world is open to you and you whittle it down, you throw things away and you make decisions and choices and then you live with them. When I get stuck like this, I go back to all of the decisions and I rethink them and uh, I second guess myself about every single thing I've ever done with the story. And that's where we are right now. I was thinking, is it not enough blood on the page? Um, and, and part of me thinks it's that. Like I haven't delved deep enough into these issues. I haven't. There's things about the world I still don't know. There's things about the characters I thought I'd figure out along the way, and maybe I didn't. I don't know. This is probably not helpful, but everything is on the table to be rethought, reconsidered, tweaked, changed. I go back to when I reread the first half of the book, and I liked it. So I feel like I don't have to start from scratch which is something I don't want to do. And I I don't think I have to. I've never had to, at this point, start from scratch. It's more like, what is missing and how do I fill in the gaps? You know, I've built uh, a structure that is very wobbly. So now we have to fix the foundation, you know, patch up the holes that are in all of the walls that I didn't notice somehow when I was building the walls. At this point, I don't think it makes sense to continue and write the last three chapters. What I'm going to do is start the revision process, which is charting out all of my scenes. So I usually do it by hand. I take legal-sized paper and draw a spreadsheet on it and write down, you know, each scene, what happens, who's the POV character. Um, I think I usually do what's the goal, motivation, conflict, setting. I have a whole thing. I have to go find it. So look at the book that you have and analyze that and then try to figure out how to make it the book that you want. I don't know if that's the right thing to do next or should I try to restructure it next, but I feel like it would be better to analyze the book that I have. And then um, charting it out will help me get the big picture and view the holes at the same time as I'm digging deeper into the world and the motivations and clarifying those things. It's like, is this a character problem or is it a plot problem? The plot is basically the same as it always has been. Oh, other things that are on the table. (laughs) Like, So this book, I was trying to plan a trilogy. Um, I wanted to do a long series in this world. I wanted to do a trilogy with a different couple per book because I always like to do a different couple per book. But I am also thinking that I'm not sure the love story is done in this book. I don't know that they've had enough time to just to to dig into the depth of the emotions that I want because of the external plot and the fact that the you know the love interests they're together, but they're it's like a forbidden romance, so they're not together as much. Long story short, I'm thinking, I'm rethinking of how the trilogy is going to go. 
and I might not be able to do a clean one couple per book. Earthsinger Chronicles was meant to be one couple per book, and guess what? It didn't end up that way <laughs> for similar reasons. I think different reasons. Uh, I am starting to believe that I can't do that. <laughs> that is not a thing that I am that I will be successful at. Angelborn, I did like that, but it wasn't an ongoing story. It was two parallel stories for Angelborn and Angelfall, the other paranormal romance series. So yeah, everything's on the table. And I have to let go of the thing I wanted to do and just embrace what it is, like what the story is, how my writer brain works. There are a lot of things I have to grapple with. Like writing, <laughs> writing is hard. But yeah, still deep, deep in the mire and the muck and the slush of figuring it out, second guessing everything and wanting to throw it all away. Part of me does. The other part of me is like, oh no, I have um, close to 60,000 words. How much of that will I keep? How much of that will I not keep? And how long will this thing end up being? Those are the questions. I also have been idea gathering for my second contracted book. News, um, tiny news, is that my agent was doing a press release, so we should be able to announce this contract soon, sooner than later, I hope. But I have, I do have another book due next summer that I have to start thinking about so I can write it for NaNoWriMo. And I have kernel of an idea. And so I have been watching, well, I watched a movie to try to fill the well on that. It'll be another historical fantasy. I don't know exactly when, but in a similar time period, because I would like to reuse as much of the research that I did for the heist story as possible. And so similar time period, maybe the th I was thinking of pushing it to the 1930s or maybe the late 1920s. Nothing close to characters or plot yet, but just like like I had with um, the heist story, it was just 1920s fantasy heist. It was sort of, that was the idea. Um, I have a kernel. And so through watching other things, reading things, um, doing research, that's how I found the story before. And I feel like it worked okay. Like the story, the heist book is with the editor now. So when I hear back from her, we'll find out how good of a job I did. Um, I have to start making time and making some brain space to gestate the new idea. So this summer it will be about that as well as all the other things I have to do. Q&A. Uh, if you have a question for me, please write me at podcast at lpenelope.com and I might answer your question on the show. Have I ever given my own books as gifts at parties or for friends' birthdays? I have not. I do not have that level of hubris within me <laughs> to gift my gift, my book to someone. I applaud those who do. I think that's wonderful. Have I always known that web design and writing would be in my future? Web design, no. Uh, writing, yes. Web design, I'm a web developer by, by day, by night sometimes. <laughs> but um, we got our first computer when I was like eight or nine years old. And I was the only one in the house who knew how to use it. This is before Windows, so it was MS-DOS, 
and I would play around with it. I learned all the commands. I took computer programming first time in, in ninth grade, I believe. I might have taken something in middle school. Uh, so I always liked computers. I, I, if I hadn't majored in film, I was going to major in computer science at college, but I ended up minoring in it. It wasn't technically a minor, but it was a, 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 a kind of a minor. So we'll call it a minor. Uh, and then I got a job doing video production, dubbing. I was a dubber and then I was an assistant editor. And I was like, I don't think I like having a job. I want to go back to school. And I decided to go back for multimedia for grad school. So that was after I taught myself web design. I taught myself web design at my first job. I was the youngest person there and they needed a website. And they were like, Leslie, you're a young person, build a website. And I'm like, I can do that. And then I went and learned how to do that. And that was literally my first website. And I had a lot of friends who were artists singers and rappers and DJs. And I started making websites for them and I became a business. I didn't intend to be an entrepreneur. I had no desire to be an entrepreneur. I was way too introverted to be an entrepreneur, but it eventually did become a business and it became my, my full-time job many years ago, like 14 years ago. So I did not always know that was going to be in my future. Writing, I yes, always a writer. I didn't I don't think I ever really thought I would be like an author with books in bookstores and available for sale. That wasn't uh, foremost in my mind. You know, I wrote stories. I was on literary magazines. Writing was part of my identity and part of my life. And I guess at the core of that is the dream that you would see your book on the shelf. But did I think that was a realistic thing that would happen? I can't say that I did. I sort of happened into it like I happened into other things like it sort of happened into web development. And then, do you collect anything? I used to collect music boxes. So when I was in high school and college and early 20s, basically until I got married, um, I, had a, I had a collection of music boxes. I took it to California with me. I took it back. Uh, when I bought my first house, I had these shelves put in so I could display my music boxes. And then when I got married, we moved to an, an apartment and there just wasn't any space. And so they, they've been packed away since I got married, I think. I have a couple of them out, but, and I don't really collect them anymore. And I've, I've never collected anything else really. So yeah, I, I'm a little sad about my music boxes, but um, some of them are just old. I don't know if they all work. They've literally been in boxes for almost 13 years. And I guess we do have space. We, we would have to get like a shelf. We'd have to get like a special piece of furniture for them that I that I don't have if I wanted to display them in our current house. Um, but yeah, I hadn't actually thought about that in a while. So thank you for the question. So my goal for this week is to put my head down and try to figure out how to fix the story. I do have an editor booked for mid-July and I... I'm not sure whether I'm going to have to push that date back or not. I hope I don't, um, but I might have to. And I'm going to give myself to the end of June to f- to try and get back on track. So that is it for me for this week. I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check out the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, 
go to frolic.media slash podcasts.